Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. I spoke earlier today to Tio Dechev. She is the CEO of Mondoro Capital. And if you want to get our thoughts and opinions on that conversation and indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports, uh, summaries from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and uh, companies. There are training videos on there. There's also summaries of other interviews that we have done just to save you a bit of time. And of course, there's a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. So go along there now and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Tio, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. Where in the world are you? I'm in Vancouver. Uh, it is Friday morning and uh, it's not raining, so that's wonderful for Vancouver. Fantastic. Whereabouts in Vancouver? I, I know on it. the North Shore. North Shore. Oh, that's, yep. a, that's, that's the nice bit. Well, it's the cloudy bit. That's where all the clouds stop and the rain never seems to end. <laughs> okay. Well, like, like, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. And it's early in the morning. And, well, it's early in the morning and I understand it's not even your first uh, interview of the day. So that's good going, right? Well done you. Okay. We're going to talk about Mon. Mondoro um, today, we've not spoken um, to Mondoro. This is the first time we've done an interview together, so I'm looking forward to it. But before we start off, can you give us a one minute overview of the business, then I'll pick it up from there. Sure, the easy way to describe the company is um, we really strive for that, let's call it royalty generator model, where we are exploring in Eastern Europe. Uh, we do believe in order um, in order to make a discovery, you have to really um, leverage what you know and the capital that you have. And so we leverage that with partnerships. And those partners are the sole funders of a lot of our exploration programs. And as a result, uh, really the back-end optionality for the Mandoro shareholders is those lucrative royalties. And because we focus on very large systems, uh, those royalties can become very lucrative because they are on really large-scale assets. And uh, most of our assets are focused on copper and gold. Uh, you kind of can't really get these systems without both commodities. Um, so when you're looking at the porphyry and the related epithermal systems, they really do have both a copper and gold component. Um, and nowadays, you know, a lot of what we're uh, focused on is really the copper side. Okay, fantastic. Well, the company's been around a while. You've been, how long have you been there? Since 2006. 2006. Okay, so you've been you've been with the company a while. It's fair to say it's had its ups and downs. You, when you joined, you had to sort a few things out before you were able to focus on Eastern Europe. I think we'll park that uh, and focus mm -hmm. on Eastern Europe if we may. I'm looking at share price. I'm going to say fairly flat for the last three or so years. There's a few there's a few peaks in there, but we're kind of back mm -hmm. where we were, you know, three years ago. So. What are people not understanding about your business? Because it's market cap says here twelve and a half million uh, Canadian dollars. That's not even real mm -hmm. money, right? That's Canadian dollars. <laughs> yeah, so, most houses in Vancouver are more than that. So right. So what's <laughs> happening? What do you think the problem is? It's a really, it's a really good question, and and it's interesting that you frame that also as a problem. Um, there's a lot of junior equities in the marketplace. There's probably 1,600 junior companies. Um, we all want to have a billion-dollar market capitalization. And the real question is, how are you going to get there? And what's it going to cost your shareholder base in terms of dilution? So, um, yes, we're trading at $12.5 million. Uh, we've been pretty steady. And fortunately, in terms of um, the 
upside of, of the stock today. But we also haven't been, you know, we also haven't lost 90% of our value in the last few years. So I think the, um, the downside protection is very good. Uh, that's because we run the company extremely well. Uh, we're one of the lowest GNAs in the business. Um, on top of that, we spend about four million a year on expiration. So I think you you also kind of have to ask yourself, what is it that you want out of your equity? Of course, everybody wants a ten bagger, but how are you going to get that ten bagger? You know, what are you prepared to take in terms of dilution in order to get there? So we're being very thoughtful about that. We don't want to dilute our shareholders out of their. Uh, future discovery in this region. So we've been really focused on getting our partners involved or getting partners involved in the projects. Uh, they are the sole funders of the programs. And that's why the name, the generator model. And the generator model uh, over time has a very powerful effect. If you can generate valuable assets within your portfolio, then over time, they actually can create a lot of value through incremental steps. And um, I was you know, mentioning this before, I used to be in equity research. One of the companies I first covered was Royal Gold back in 1999. And I remember running the DCF and thinking, wow, they've got like a 0.25% royalty on this project. It's you know, $300,000 here, you know, $400,000 there. How is this gonna generate a lot of value? You know, DCF models after 10 years, you might as well forget about that future back end. But that's the mistake. Right? Because those models over time are extremely lucrative. And as you build more assets in those layers, they you know, just become profit-making machines, for lack of a better uh, description, almost an annuity business um, over the long term. So what we're trying to do is create that stable group of royalties on a district that has got so much potential for a discovery so that over time, those royalties will become extremely lucrative. Um, the reason I position it as a problem is I get the downside protection position. That, that's a great, great thing to say. But I'm here as an investor, retail investors, for growth. I make money when the shares go up in price and I cash them in. That's how I make money, okay? And it's been a long time. So you, the, the question I want to ask is, do you think you've got the, employed the right model? You've been there since 2006. Have you employed the right model for retail investors to get involved with here because I've got to see where the where the upside is or at least when the upside is uh, coming. Yeah. If uh, if you're going to be running a business where you're testing targets, uh, you you have to be running the generator model where you have partners involved. I don't think that the retail market supports um, that kind of long term long haul investment cycle that that's that's not the 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 retail market so if you're in early stage expiration where you're testing targets and trying to create a new discovery uh fundamentally that's that's a partner generator model so absolutely it's the right model but is it the right model for a retail investor that wants to invest based on a drill hole no because not every drill hole is going to work out in a target testing type of environment um, having said that, if uh, a retail investor is interested in, you know, a program where they can see, you know, immediate results in terms of what's the next section of that mineralized zone, then they're, you know, the traditionally the retail speculator market is is involved in established resources where a company is trying to create a larger resource or develop that resource into an economic, uh, let's call it feasibility. Um, that's not what we do. Okay. You know, when you go to a conference and people ask you, um, where is that next discovery going to come in our business? 
that's what we're here for, to create that next discovery. So if you buy in at this, you know, yes, you call it downside protection and, you know, steady eddy, and that's the opportunity. You can park money there. And when a discovery is made, that's your 10 bagger. You've gotten very low cost of capital in and you can make a tremendous return because that discovery will immediately pay because the dilution doesn't occur the way it normally does in an exploration model. Okay. So that, that quite nicely describes the type of person who might be interested in uh, your project. Good. I like that. Um, let's break down the uh, royalty generator description, okay? Because people understand royalty companies, they understand project generators, but you're climbing those things together. So let's, let's see what that looks like. So if you're bringing in partners, why? So what's the conversation with the partner? Is it just for money? Are you operating it? Are they operating it? What are the terms? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, there is no plain vanilla approach. And uh, we're, we really, want to see capital spent on the projects. Uh, so we kind of uh, listen to what our partners are asking for, uh, and we fine tune a lot of our agreements. Um, so let's just start with the with the royalty business. So I used to cover royalty companies, uh, and I've seen, uh, you know, a lot of prospect generators, I have a comp model, which, you know, I'm obsessed with data uh, of 56 companies. So traditional royalty companies buy royalties. Uh, or, you know, let's mash them in as well as the streams. You're basically creating a future uh, cash payment. They need to compete based on their balance sheet. Uh, yes, you can try and be clever in terms of, yeah, let's say, intellectual knowledge within your team to try and understand if there's a better return on this asset than what somebody else might see. But at the end of the day, at the, at the high end where... Uh, on average, you know, I like to delineate this this group uh, in terms of the senior royalty companies. Anybody that's making 10 million a year and more consistently on a three-year run rate, that's the seniors. Uh, those are the only ones that are cash flow positive in the business. So then you go on to the next, uh, let's call it tier. And again, it's you. It's really important when you're looking at a, an industry space to try and compare them apples to apples. And unfortunately, because you don't have that EBITDA and that cash flow on the other side of the business, uh, we kind of look at the top end revenue side. So if you're making between 10 and 1 million top line revenue from your portfolio per year for the last three year run rate, that's kind of the mid-tiers. Those, those companies have grown significantly in terms of valuation, but they're still not cash flow positive. So it's partially a balance sheet and it's partially hunting through you know, your own network and your own kind of contacts in terms of what assets you can get into. They fund a lot of development so that you know, in the future, those royalties will pay out. So let's remember that. In the future, those royalties will pay out. As you and I know, and everybody in the business knows, not every single asset makes it into production at the timeline needed, but that's part of the risk in the model. And then you get into the last end. Uh, and the last end is really this, the what I call the generators. Now, some generators work uh, for different reasons, but our view is we're here in order to secure that future royalty. So rather than me wait for Valet one day to have uh, a copper mine that they want to potentially go out and sell a royalty to, you know, the seniors for, let's say, you know, half a billion dollars. I'm here 10 years in advance, and I'm creating that future royalty that one day one of the seniors will want. So at the back end, we kind of look at there's a lot of companies. So we kind of say, okay, if you can do 100,000 a year up to a million, you're in the junior space, 
on a three-year average, right? Just always remember the three-year average because, you know, these, this business can be lumpy in terms of top line. So what we like to say is, look, Mondoro is a junior generator for the royalty. So our belief is that in 10 years, one of our assets will become the value of a potential future Franco or let's call it Royal Gold style asset because the partners that we deal with have big scale requirements. And as a result, a discovery on one of those kind of projects would create a very valuable royalty. So that's kind of the way I look at the royalty space. Uh, I can give you lots of metrics on how they perform, but we actually do extremely well compared to our peers. We've been growing our top line at 56% versus you know, peers at 10. Uh, we're at one of the bottom in terms of uh, GNA. And um, you know, we, we've been generating basically around 350,000 a year, whereas a lot of the peers on average are generating around two. But but, that, but that's but that's going into running the company. That money that you are generating, I appreciate it's last I literally four shareholders. You're not having to go out and raise capital all the time, so that's good news. But you've got to take that cash and convert it into real value and in a timely fashion. So I know you're saying to me, some point down the line, this is valuable. And if I'm if I'm okay with that, if I, if I want to sit in this for five or plus years, that's good. That's the kind of shareholder you want, right? But how do you, and it comes back to the question about, have you got the business model entirely right? Shouldn't there be some shorter term wins that you should be looking at? And if so, what could they be? Shorter term wins are um, building out the portfolio. So what else are we adding to the portfolio that will continue running this model? So um, yes, we don't talk about our um, application pipeline because that's our competition in the business. Uh, but yes, every single year we are going out, we are putting in applications, we are building out our portfolio, and that creates more opportunities for partnerships. In terms of, you know, what is that short-term win? It's built, it's bringing in uh, key assets like that in the portfolio. That's number one. And number two is every year there is a drill program on our program, on our projects. It's paid by our partners, but there are drill programs every year. So if a investor is really interested in terms of those short-term wins, well, pay attention to those programs. What's going to come out of them? You know, is there, a, you never know when the next discovery can occur from one of these programs. Okay. Okay. And more questions because I, because I'm trying to piece all the moving parts. There are a lot of moving parts, surprisingly, uh, in this. Okay. So you, you're going out and finding more projects. So again, future value, but the market's not giving you credit for that today. I don't know how to mm -hmm. value that today. Okay. So we've got that time issue again. I can see that you would spend a lot of time going out and trying to find partners who can put money in the company to, you know, make things easier for you or allow you to operate or cover your GNA, however you want to charge fees on that. Um, so explain, explain again that relationship. How many partners have you got? Who are they? Have there been any successes? And when do things actually get moving? Because I'm, I'm not quite sure how long people, partners have been drilling for or exploring for or creating value for you so that you could maybe in, a, in, a, you know, in no short order can actually talk to the market and say, well, hey, look, I think this potentially is going to be a much better relationship. This, this project, we know a lot more about it now. I, I can put a value to that. I, currently, I can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so in terms of partners today, we've got uh, Jogmec as one of our partners uh, and we have um, 
a partnership with them in Serbia uh, on one project called Borsko, which is actually a tremendously interesting opportunity. Uh, it is directly west of the main bore mines, uh, which have been in production for 100 years. Uh, and that uh, project has created a technical success in the sense that we have uh, discovered through uh, blind, what we call a blind discovery in the, in the industry, uh, because it's you know under 500 meters of andesite cover, uh, it was discovered through structural interpretation and geophysics. Uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of like when, when you say, you know, what are those short-term wins? I mean, that's a huge win because now we know exactly where to continue drilling. That target has become more lucrative, more valuable. So um, that's one partnership. Uh, the next one that we have is with Valet. Uh, Valet is in four of the projects that we have in um, Serbia. Uh, and just recently we announced that uh, they are also picking up an additional two. Uh, and those are two projects that were previously with Freeport. And, and again, here's another example, you know, Freeport spent 3.2 million US, let's call that 4 million Canadian in a matter of 18 months. And uh, due to internal you know, requirements had to drop their global exploration program, um, which was a real shame because they added a huge amount of value to those assets. To do that amount of geophysics that we did on those programs took about a you know close to 12 months out of those 18 months. And on top of that did 9,000 meters of drilling prove the concepts, and now somebody else is going to benefit from that work. It's not that when a partner leaves, an asset becomes less valuable. It actually builds a tremendous amount of data that our shareholders didn't pay for. You just got that all for free. And now Valet is coming on board. They're paying the company uh, these near-term, year-to-year payments, and that's the front end of our business that I was alluding to earlier. Um, that is also a win for us. So again, it, yes, it maintains dilution, but it also, it's, it's an extremely important part of the business. So I, I don't wanna you know, unemphasize that. Um, so those two partners are working with us. So now Valet's got uh, six projects. Uh, Jogmec's got one in Serbia with us. On top of that, we have a strategic alliance with Jogmec uh, in Bulgaria, which has produced some tremendously interesting uh, projects that are now under application. So. Those are all future opportunities for our shareholders. Okay. It all just sounds like I've got to wait a long time for this. Like, and, and, but before I sort of even go there, what do you mean by technical success? It, it technical success, when I hear that phrase, I go, there's no economic success, but maybe there's a little bit more information about what's under the ground, which may tell me if I do a lot more drilling, what may be down the line. So technical success doesn't really kind of, work for me. So what, why are you excited about? Why would you use that phrase? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Uh, it's a technical success because we actually found uh, an intact litho cap uh, 500 meters undercover based on uh, geophysics. And as uh, anyone will tell you, geophysics is important, but it's really hard to justify a drill program on just you know a geophysical target. You usually want other indicators like geochemistry or other structural interpretation or maybe a historical hole. Um, so the technical success, we found the litho cap. And where you find, the, the thing is though, 
if you don't have a lithocap, you're not going to find the porphyry system. So it's really, really difficult in, in the porphyry world to, to, you know, drill right in the heart of the porphyry on the first drill hole and say, yeah, I got a porphyry mine. That's just, you know, that's, that's fantasy. That doesn't happen. So you start with technical success and then you build on that data in order to get to the economic success. Okay. You're hunting porphyries. I get it. it it's hard, but how long has JogMet been at it with you? In fact, how long has Valet been at it with you? So Valet's just started. Um, they signed the um, option agreement with us last year or the earn agreement. Uh, the licenses have now finally been uh, transitioned into the joint venture structure. Uh, and we just started the program uh, this, this year. So the idea is to be dr out drilling in December. So it has actually been a very short <laughs> relationship so far with Valet. And we're just starting that process. Uh, and we've got a lot of really interesting targets to drill out uh, for this winter season, as well as transitioning into 2021. JogMec has been with us uh, since 2016. Uh, they have, uh, so that's just right about four years. Um, we obviously didn't do a lot of work this last year uh, on that particular project, but what we have been doing is a lot of reinterpretation of the data. So what you always want is you start with your concept, uh, you spend money in order to drill out or test your, your concept, and then you measure and adjust. You reinterpret, you rerun your uh, geophysical models to ensure that, you know, are you seeing the right correlation? And then you plan for your next uh, program. And that's really what we're trying to achieve now uh, with JogMec is to determine the financing the next uh, program in order to continue testing that target. Right. Okay. And do you feel that's moving at the right pace for you? Because obviously they're a big company. They've got lots of targets, got lots of optionality around the world. You're not, you know, number one or only one. There's lots of companies out there. So how do you get them to pay attention and focus in on what you want them to do in timely fashion? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And I think if a company was relying on only one partner, that would be a problem. Uh, you, you can't make a, a major company you know, jump to your tune. That's just, that's not how the business works. Uh, they soul fund, they decide uh, where things are going to get uh, tested. So what you can do to manage that risk is have a portfolio approach, have more than one project, have more than one partner, fully recognizing at the start of every year that one partner is moving forward while another one is thinking. And, and that is how we manage risk. And that is how we constantly activity in our I get it okay so we got Valet that here who, who just really kind of kicking things off this year okay the relationship from last year Freeport have been in gone global change of direction strategy gone Jogmec been there for four years they'll move at the pace who else have you got in there who else have you had in there I'm just because it feels to me like you you've got to spend on a lot of you've got you've got your land package you can spend a lot of time chasing down uh, what do you call them partner, partners, strategic partners, who in one way, shape, or form put money into the into the company, and they will at their own pace develop that. Sorry, run this exploration program, which which can take time. It, it always takes time. Okay, I guess I'm just you know, it, but it's not moving at the pace necessarily that you or shareholders want. But you can't do much about it. So I'm trying to I'm trying to get a sort of sight as to how many of these. How big your portfolio of partner companies needs to be to kind of allow you mm -hmm. to kind of hit your stride or when you do hit your stride even if you say it's not going to be for i don't know seven years fine but i tell you when we go it's a hockey stick lovely what's the thinking there how do, how do you how do you drive yeah. that um so like i 
alluded to earlier, uh, we do have a portfolio approach. We do have other projects uh, in the portfolio, and we are currently in active discussions with other third parties about those other projects. So we do anticipate bringing more partners on board. Uh, last year, we had three. Uh, this year, we have two, and I'm quite confident that we can bring in another partner. Um, there are some, and on top of that, you know, we've got the strategic uh, alliance with Jogmec in Bulgaria, which is again, you know, three other applications. You know, I think what would be, and I, I do this analysis and, you know, I'd love somebody else to do the analysis as well. But I think what you're asking is on average, I mean, if a typical exploration pro, uh, company, how, how much drilling do they do on their project? So last year, you know, we did about 18,000 meters. That's a lot of drilling for a junior. You're saying, well, it's not really going fast enough to you. I want things to go faster. Do you really think you can do target testing at a more aggressive pace? I mean, our team is probably one of the biggest in Eastern Europe. Uh, so we've got about 15, 20 people, depending on field season, working for us on a regular basis, running all these programs for our partners. It, it is fascinating to hear on the outside people saying things aren't moving fast enough. When inside the company, things are going at breakneck speed. You are just constantly go, go, go with all of the field teams, creating the data sets, creating that next project. Um, but unfortunately, on the outside, you know, people are interested in when's that next discovery coming? And what we say is we're drilling again this year. You know, take a look at what we're doing. Uh, if the next if the next discovery happens on the next drill hole, we're all going to be happy. And if it doesn't, don't worry. There's 25 other targets to go to. That's interesting. That, that that's the first time I've heard or seen that. And I've been through your model, been through the uh, PowerPoint, been through your website. First time I've heard that phrase. That is quite interesting. Okay. But you, the first time you've heard breakneck speed? No, no, no. 18,000 meters. Yeah, we've done a lot of drilling. So between Jogmec- Why don't you tell people uh, that? Why don't you tell people? We used to put those kind of metrics in our um, in our press releases, but fine. Generally, people don't really care about that kind of stuff. Um, and we also track all of our, in our spreadsheet, we also track how much drilling every single company that they can disclose, obviously, uh, how much we see in, in press releases in terms of what is the average amount that a lot of companies drill. We, we drill a lot, um, but not all of that is, it's not around a deposit, it's target testing. So it's over a series of areas in the district. No, okay, I, I understand that, I understand that. So how much money have you spent on drilling then? So on average, we run around four, three to four million. Um, I don't have the exact number in front of me for last year, but I can definitely uh, take a look at that. Uh, but on average, we spend about three or four million um, on expiration uh, every single year. That's kind of the the average run rate. Okay. And with regards to partner funding, how much have you collected from these three last year to this year? What's that worth to you? Um, last year, in terms of partner funding, um, so they, they sole fund all the programs. So probably about 85% of that would be partner funding. Uh, what we do on our own uh, is to generate those projects. So anything, so anytime that we spend out in the field doing prospecting, you know, reviewing assets, we may do some sampling programs over areas, those are all our costs. So on average, um, you know, we spend about 
let's say one 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 point two million per year to run to run the company and the strategy. Uh, and as a result, uh, we, you know, we're constantly replenishing the applications and you know, kind of growing the portfolio. Um, but the lion's share of the funding does come from partners. Okay. And what else are you getting out of this? Because, you know, it's when Freeport, you said Freeport, you know, did a bunch of, spent a bunch of money, uh, had to go. You own that data. They don't. Is that right? Is that the way it works? No. The, the, when, when Freeport left, that data is ours. Uh, it, it's actually part of the, the vehicle that owns the asset. And because we're both shareholders in that vehicle, then both companies own the asset. But in terms of, um, you know, sole funding, they sole fund. So technically, it's their programs. Uh, and you obviously, you know, it's up to them to determine uh, how much disclosure is provided. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, that's, that's kind of that's kind of interesting. So, so, so it comes back to this thing. I mean, I sort of keep pushing on this on this timing thing. But 2021, mm -hmm. what are the messages that you're going to get out to the marketplace? Because you got to get people to pay attention. You got to like say, you got a lot of moving parts. You got a lot of a lot of land package. You got some nice names in there, and you know, no doubt you'll bring on more big name partners. But what should people be looking for? And what is it that they're not understanding now that you think they need to understand about you? Um, well, look, keeping things simple, um, again, you know, what we do is we pick up projects, um, we bring them into the portfolio, we bring on board partners, and then those partners fund those assets and explore. So as I mentioned, we've started exploration on the Valley of Projects. Uh, we anticipate being in a drill program uh, by the end of the year, and that'll obviously continue into the first half of next year. Uh, by that time frame, we would also like to bring on board one more partner on the existing projects that are available. Um, and of course, there's the opportunity for the Strategic Alliance in, in Bulgaria to bring into fruition uh, the other projects that have already been applied for. The problem is you don't really have a lot of control as a company uh, in terms of how quickly the governments will grant applications. That is definitely you know, um, a, a moving target in these jurisdictions. And again, another reason why we have a portfolio approach. But generally, uh, those things are lined up for the next 12 months. Okay. Um, but can you you can understand the frustration in the marketplace? The, um, you know, I think that the marketplace needs to understand how the, the generator model works. And if they accept and understand what they're investing in, then they will be on side with how this type of a business model evolves over time and how it can build value. So I, I think that you can't invest in a prospect generator or a royalty generator as Manduro is and expect uh, the same type of timelines as investing in a traditional exploration company that goes out, raises capital, drills their resource, tries to you know maybe improve their resource report or take their resource into a PEA. That is a very different business model. And as long as the investor understands the differences between them, they can get easily disappointed in an exploration model, but they need to understand what they're investing in. So the generator model that we're pursuing is a long-term business model. It creates value over time. And you really have to have a very competent team that understands how to control that process over the time frame, manage the risks over the long-term. And if everybody's doing their job and you get a little bit of luck, then you have a fantastic opportunity in terms of a discovery. Brilliant, so yeah, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.